Well, it is uh, wonderful to be with you again this morning. Thank you so much for, for being with us as, uh, as we are going to continue on in our series in Philippians. And for those of you who have been around church for a little while, we've been in Philippians since September, working our way slowly, methodically, and joyfully through uh, this book. Um, and so today we reach uh, the middle of chapter three. But before we get there, I wonder if you can remember where you were on Saturday, the 4th of August, 2012. Jonathan will have a spreadsheet somewhere with the details of what he was doing on it. But I wonder what you were doing Saturday. Or or maybe if I can explain, uh, it's hard to believe it's over 10 years ago, but maybe you will be familiar with it, that this date became known as Super Saturday. Any any ideas when this might have taken place? The London Olympics. Brilliant. Yes, thank you. This became known as Super Saturday. The 4th of August in 2012 was a huge day for Team GB. Uh, Early in the day, they had won two gold medals in the rowing. Then they won a a track women's cycling team had won a gold medal. And then all the attention turned to the Olympic Stadium for the evening events where about 80,000 people crammed in. Millions around the world watched uh, as Jessica Ennis-Hill then smashed her own own record, sorry, to to win the heptathlon. Then Mo Farah, of course, came in 10,000 meters uh, and got the gold there. And to top off 44 minutes of sheer uh, sporting gold in the stadium, Greg Rutherford then jumped 8.31 meters to win the the long jump. and this was an incredible day. It was a great achievement for Team GB. It's remembered fondly by mem- many of us, actually. Um, I'm sure you can remember. If you watched it on TV, you might remember where you were. Uh, I, re- I remember listening to the radio commentary of it and just the, the atmosphere in the stadium. And sport is an incredible way of doing that, of producing that kind of... It's, it's almost intoxicating. Um, some of you may have experienced that yesterday uh, as, we, as we enjoyed the Six Nations. Or, well, some of us may have enjoyed the Six Nations, some of us not, if you, depending on who you're supporting. Um, but the, the reason that I mentioned that this morning is to, is to try to plant in our minds the, the picture of athletes, uh, because that's the picture that, that Paul has in his mind here as we get into the middle of chapter three, particularly an athlete straining for the line, pushing themselves to the limit to reach the goal, to gain the prize at the end, uh, because that's the imagery, as I say, we find in Philippians three from verse 12 to 16. We see it in other places in Paul's writing. I don't know whether Paul himself was an athlete or just loved hearing about the games that took place in Rome, but he, he uses this, um, this language of, of athletes regularly, and we find one of them here. And the language and the imagery that Paul uses is going to help us see with greater clarity what the Christian life is to be like. We've seen so far in this wonderful letter to the Philippian church that Paul explains the joy of salvation in Jesus Christ how it is by faith in Jesus that our sins are forgiven, that we are declared righteous before God. Remember verse 9 from last week. Salvation is by grace alone, by putting our faith in Christ alone, which is the gift of God alone, this wonderful message of salvation and how that brings us confidence that we are indeed saved because it's because of Christ. Uh, And that salvation that we receive then changes the heart and the life of any who believe in it, of any who receive that good gift from God. The heart and the life are changed And Paul's explained that already back in chapter 2. We're going to see it again today. That this future hope that that is secured for us by what Christ has done in saving us is secure and is there for us to take. But one of the things that Paul is keen to emphasize is that just because we have a future hope, that, that in no way means that we just lead this meandering existence now while we wait for heaven. So so the Christian life is, yes, about future hope, but it's not just about a future hope that we wait for that makes no impact on our daily life now. 
No, in fact, God through Paul's pen, indeed through all of Scripture, shows that it should be the exact opposite. That because of our future hope, our lives here should be transformed for him. And so we should live with that sense of urgency, faithfulness, boldness, because we know where we're going. We know where our home is. And so that should impact the way we live. And so Paul, even to pick up on some of the themes that we've seen throughout Philippians so far, we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel in 127. We seek to serve one another with humble love, the first half of chapter 2. Second half of chapter 2, then, he explains how God works in us and through us to transform us into the likeness of Jesus. And all of that is because we can have confidence in the salvation that that Christ has won for us, the first half of chapter 3. And so life as a a Christian should be far from passive. It, It should be far from sluggish. Life as a Christian should be purposeful, should be joyful, should be active. And it's an active life with a focus of the goal that awaits us, and that's what we're going to see today. And so let's, let's read how Paul describes this Christian life in this portion of chapter 3. We're actually going to begin from verse 10 um, because the, the flow of verse 12 comes from verse 10. And I know we spoke about verse 10 and 11 at the prayer meeting on Wednesday evening, um, so we'll not run over too much of that, but it does set, it, it sets the trajectory from what comes in verse 12. Um, so let's read together Philippians 3, uh, 12 to 16. And we'll start at verse 10, sorry. I want to know Christ... Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do Forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. And so our Father, we pray that as we turn to your word, you would, you would help us, you would teach us, you would mold us, and by your spirit you would transform us more and more into the likeness of your Son to live for your glory. So be with us now as we know you are and make us aware of your help as we engage with this portion of your word. Amen. Seven verses from 10 to 16, seven verses jam-packed with goodness, with treasure. Uh, And there's one thing that's wrestled in the middle of it, right in in verse 13, in the middle of verse 13. But one thing I do. This is a, a clarifying phrase for us, actually. As we think of all the goodness that God has for us in these verses, Paul explains, but this one thing, out of what comes before and what comes next, this one thing, this is the priority of the apostle. This is the one thing that he does. And what is that one thing? Well, well interestingly, if you read verse 13, Paul says, this one thing I do, and then says two things. Um, but I think these two things are actually supplemented and sit underneath the one thing that comes at the start of verse 14. So he says, brothers and sisters, do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But this one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, then this is the one thing I press on toward the goal. And so to press on, he forgets and he strains. The one thing is the pressing on. He is pressing on towards the goal. That, that is Paul's priority. And I believe, of course, that would be that God would want each of us and encourage each of us to take that as our priority. And if it is your priority already, then keep it front and center. If you're in that posture of straining towards what is ahead, keep going. 
That's God's message for you this morning. Keep going, keep pressing on. For some of us, we may need to be reminded to get up from where we are and press on again. Some of us may even need to be invited into the race to to respond to God's good call, that upward call of Christ to come and receive him as savior and then press on in your life for him. And so with these verses in mind, and this idea of pressing on towards the goal, I think there's a couple of questions that arise which the text answers for us. These two questions, what is the goal we're focused on? What is the goal we're pressing towards? And secondly, then how do we do that? How do we press on? And we're going to spend most of our time thinking about that first question. What is the goal we're focused on or we're to be straining towards? Um, And the answer to what is the goal, the, the answer might seem obvious. Surely Paul's goal is heaven. Surely it's, he's thinking about his eternal home. And, and, and yes, that is right. And that is right and good, and we should never neglect that. But, but I think there's a nuance here that we need to consider. See, in, in verse 12, Paul says, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at, any, at my goal. And so clearly he's continuing his thought from what has just been before. He doesn't start a new thought by saying, Not that I've already obtained all of this. Well, what is the this? We need to go back to the start of verse 10 to see that. The start of verse 10 shows us that this, that Paul hasn't yet obtained, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection becoming, and, and to know the, the participation in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul wants to know, to know Christ. And to know Christ means to know the power of his resurrection. And he wants to share in the sufferings so that he can ultimately die, attain the resurrection, and therefore be in heaven with his Lord. All of that is true. But notice how verse 10 starts. I want to know Christ. That's Paul's goal. He wants to know Christ. Your mind may be taken back to last week because that was the theme then too. Paul is, is really hammering this home. He wants to know Christ, not just know about Christ but to know him, know him in a full, deep way. One commentator on this has said, R. Kent Hughes has said, that the apostles' love-born desire to know Christ in such a way that his life was so fully identified with that of his Savior that it radiated from him. So Paul wants to know Christ. He wants to know the power of his resurrection. He wants to share in his sufferings. He wants to, to become like him in his death so that he can attain the resurrection. Paul wants to know Christ And therefore, with knowing him, he wants to become like him. It's a message that has rung true throughout this whole letter so far. But we can't lose that as the sight of the the, the focus of Paul here when he's thinking of the goal. His goal is Christ. His goal is knowing Christ and becoming like him. Of course, he will know that in its fullness in in eternal glory. But it's not just wishing for heaven that Paul has here, if I can put it in that way. He wants to know Christ. And of course, we saw from chapter 3, verse 7 last week, we saw that Paul said, I consider everything everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. See, I think we need to recognize this and and almost labor labor that point because my inclination was that that Paul here is is aiming for heaven. Yes, and, and as I said, that is right. But he's aiming for heaven because that's where his true treasure is. So he's aiming for heaven because Jesus is in heaven. He he wants to know Christ and Christ is in heaven. And so he's aiming there. That's where the upward call has taken him. And so he longs for heaven. I wonder, do you remember back into chapter one 
when Paul said this in verse 21 to 24, let me read fully, but there's a couple of the verses up on the screen. Uh, Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ. This is as Paul is talking about death. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Paul's desire is to depart and be with Christ. Christ is his goal. Christ is his treasure. And therefore, Paul wants to know him and therefore be like him. And this understanding of of heaven and eternity, to to treasure Christ as the the treasure of heaven, not not just treasuring heaven for itself. Now, please hear me. I'm not demeaning heaven. Heaven is the place where God lives in all his glory. Of course we should treasure heaven, but we treasure heaven because of who the king is there. We treasure heaven because that is where Christ is. Jesus himself said something similar to this when he prayed. This is Jesus' prayer in John 17. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Jesus said his eternal life is knowing him. Jesus is eternal life. Jesus is the goal. Jesus is the prize. Heaven is where he is. Heaven is our home. Heaven is we, where we are going to if we love and trust in him. Yes, absolutely. But, but Christ is the, on the throne there. Christ is the treasure there. You see, I, I think that we need to, and certainly I find it helpful to, to recognize and wrestle with this a little bit because if we anticipate heaven for anything other than Jesus, then perhaps we're at risk of worshiping the gifts rather than the giver of the gifts. If I can put it in this way, I find this helpful. I think it might actually be a bit clumsy, but let me explain. Could it be said that we might treasure the heavenly treasures rather than the treasure of heaven? So could it be said that we treasure the heavenly treasures all of the things that we long for, all of the good things that Scripture teaches us. None, I'm not saying that any of this is man-made or unbiblical. No, the goodness, the, tr- the, the wonder that the Bible explains heaven is. But the true treasure of heaven is Jesus. And so wherever he is, I want to depart and be with him, is what Paul said. And so I'm not saying that we shouldn't long for heaven. Of course we should. It is better by far, but it's better by far because Jesus is there. Could it be said that we might treasure the heavenly treasures rather than the treasure of heaven, capital T? See, it seems clear that that for Paul, the goal is Christ, knowing Christ and therefore becoming like him. And to know him will, will mean knowing the power of his resurrection, knowing sharing in his sufferings. That's the goal for Christ. That's the goal for Paul. But he knows he's not there yet. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or have already reached my goal. Again, in verse 13, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. And that's because this goal of knowing Christ and becoming like him is endless in this life. It's like, it's like digging a well of endless wonder and awe and majesty. We can't fully comprehend his might, his power, his love, his justice, his compassion, We can't fully get our minds around that. We can't get to the bottom of that well in this life as we continue to know him. No, in eternity, we will see him for all his glory and goodness. But for now, we continue to dig. That's 
what Paul is saying here. Paul is joyfully devoted to digging that well, to running the race, to straining and striving and fighting the good fight all the way to the end. So, so knowing Christ is endless. It's an endless task. But please, don't hear any drudgery in that. Don't, don't think that just because it's an endless task, oh, well, why should I bother trying? No, we try because he is treasure. Look at who he is. See him for all his glory. And therefore strive to know him. We saw this again back in chapter 1 when, when Paul said that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until the day of Christ. That's when it will be complete. So as we know him and grow in our knowing of him, then we become more like him as he is at work in us. And those things take, all, take us from now all the way to glory. And so, and so may we... May we Maybe be encouraged by this. Uh, my prayer is that it is encouraging to you to hear these words this morning. That, that knowing Christ is an endless task. So let's dive in. Let's not waste any time. Let's strive. Let's strain toward that goal. Because, of course, he is our true and ultimate treasure. Uh, and maybe, maybe some of us have been encouraged, but we're encouraged because we've been confronted. We've been confronted by by the extent that we've allowed ourselves to stagnate in that desire to know Christ. Maybe we can even look back and, and see a drifting backwards, a drifting away from God. And, and so may we hear the loving words of Christ to call us back to him, to recognize who he is, who he is now, presently, not who we remember him to be from that time when we were close. No, let's strain toward him. See him as the Savior and the Lord that we've claimed him to be and allow him to transform our hearts. And therefore, our lives are devoted to him, just like Paul's was. So, so this is the goal that Paul had, to know Christ and therefore to be transformed into his likeness. And so may God graciously, yet powerfully, erupt that passion in our hearts to know him. And as we know him, to become like him by his spirit that is the goal secondly then let's move on to consider then, then how do we press on if knowing christ is the goal how, how do we press on toward that well there's a few things to, to mention briefly here but i want to start by thinking about a phrase at the end of chapter 12 which i find particularly helpful in the esv rendering so i'll put it on the screen for you in case you're not reading from that version so verse 12 said not that i have already obtained this or i'm already perfect but i press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. The NIV has that. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. See, the, the point is we press on towards the goal because Christ has taken us. He has grasped us. He has seized us. He is holding us. And so we press on into him. See, the language here is that idea of grasping or seizing. Christ has grasped us from the pit. He has rescued us from an eternity in hell. And so we then want to know him. We lean into him. He has saved us and so our lives are transformed. It's a point that has come up time and time again throughout Philippians, hasn't it? The reality that we strive, that God works in our hearts and all of that. And we, our lives are transformed by him. We become more like Christ. And all of that is, a, is as a result of his saving work in our lives, not a striving to earn it. So, so this is not 
This is not a call to press on and strain towards the goal, the goal being making the cut for God to accept us. No, because Christ has made me his own. So I want to know him. So I want to live my life for him. And so as, he, as Paul says in verse 16, we live up to what we have already attained. We are Christ's. He has taken hold of us. And so we strain to know him more and become like him more because that's whose we are. Again, to quote our, quote our Kent Hughes, who was very helpful on this point, Paul expressed his desire to know the risen Christ because he was in the grip of Christ's grace. Paul's whole pursuit of Christ was Christ-originated, Christ-motivated, and Christ-propelled. And so perhaps that's our first response to how we press on. We press on in the grip of grace. It is because of grace that we press on. It is motivated by grace. And so we press on in grace. We don't press on to earn our salvation. We press on because our salvation is secure, so we press So that's firstly, we press on in grace. Secondly, and according to verse 13, we press on by doing these two things. We forget what is behind and we strain towards what is ahead. We forget what is behind. And I think this carries on from the previous section where Paul had said that everything that he had, he considered loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. And so all of that man-made aspect of his life, which looked very impressive, all of those religious activities with, which might have brought some kind of prideful arrogance that, of course, God will accept me because look at how, how righteous I am according to my own standards or according to the religious standards. But no, in the end, Paul concludes, none of that is worth anything because, as he said in verse 9, the righteousness that counts comes from God on the basis of faith. And so he forgets all of that that is behind And I think, of course, included in that, and we see throughout Scripture elsewhere, that, of course, that means turning from the sin that so easily entangles. From Hebrews 12, which we'll read later, that sin that so easily entangles, we throw off everything that hinders. And so we turn from what is behind. And any good athlete will tell you, I'm not one, but I'm assured, that any good athlete will tell you that to look back is a recipe for disaster. If you're straining towards what is ahead, If you turn to look back, if you get distracted, that's when you go off course. That's when you lose pace. Except, of course, if you're Usain Bolt. Do you remember that photo? There's a wonderful photo of Usain Bolt running. He's about three meters ahead of everyone. And he's staring at the camera, smiling as he's full sprint. Now, he's the exception that proves the rule. That unless you stay focused, if you turn back, unless you forget what is behind, then you're likely to trip. And so Paul's saying, no. I forget what is behind. I forget what is behind. And I'm laser focused on the prize, Christ himself. So we press on in grace and we press on forgetting what is behind. And finally, we press on straining toward what is ahead. And doesn't that conjure up that image of, of, a, of a sprinter you know, reaching for the line, throwing out any part of his body just to get across the line first, urging themselves on over those last few inches? And so that's, that's the image that Paul has given us here of the Christian life. That, that there is never a stage of life where you coast in your faith. And I think that's a message for each and every one of us. So if you're young in faith and young in body, 
strain, press on. If you're not so young in faith and not so young in body, strain and press on. Other areas of life may have supposedly calmed down in retirement, but faith should never. Your desire for Christ, never. Strain, press on, keep going towards what is ahead. There's no coasting across the line. I've got to push all our way. And I think maybe we could read this and say, yeah, of course Paul is writing with that kind of urgency. Of course he is. He's facing death. He's in prison in Rome. And yes, all of that is true. But none of that, I think, is an excuse to then say, well, we don't need to take it that seriously. He, he's, he's basically saying, press on when it's hard. Or press on when you know the end is coming. No, press on. And I think actually to, to most of us, I, I hope I can speak for most of us, to our shame, I think if we knew that if we knew when the end was coming, we, we would press harder. We would be bolder in our faith. We would be stronger in our evangelism. We would be more passionately devoted to our Bible reading and to our prayer. If we knew that we only had this time left, then we would push on. The emphasis of Scripture here from Paul, the emphasis of God, the loving message to us from God this morning, I believe, is press on anyway. You might have 40 years left. That's 40 years of good pressing. You may not have that long. Press. And the reason that all of that is good and necessary is because of who we're pressing into and what we're pressing on toward. So we strain towards what is ahead. And in that way, we live with with urgency every day. And there there are many of us who may need to spend the next few minutes repenting of a lack of urgency. These are very easy words to say. They're very difficult to live out when the pressures of life and the distractions come. And so may God help us. Let me do that now, actually. Father, we, we, we recognize, God, that for, for those of us who know and love you, There have been times when we have pressed on and there have been times when we've been stagnant. There have been times when we've turned our face from the goal. Lord, would you forgive us? Father, would you help us? Even God, for those of us who have stumbled and tripped along the track, would you pick us up by your grace and propel us forward? We pray for your help and we pray for your forgiveness. Amen. So I'm sure I'm not the, the only one who, who feels that sense of challenge. Um, but but what, now that we feel that sense of challenge, okay, what will we do? God has highlighted this in my heart, so what will I do now? How will I spend my time? How will I reorientate my priorities? How will I actively strain ahead towards the prize? Because that's the call. We press on. We press on by forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. And we do those things. We keep pressing on, safe in the knowledge that Christ has us. He has taken hold of us. He has grasped us and seized us. And so we long to know him and become like him as we do. I think that, that's, that's what genuine discipleship of Jesus looks like. I think that's what Paul describes as mature in verse 15. So those who are, uh, all of us then who are mature, and isn't that interesting? All of us then who are mature, Maturity is what, is what we should be expecting and hoping and longing and working towards. All of us who are mature should take a view of such things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. I think this is a, a loving word from God here. That if, if we think that it is okay to coast our way to glory, how loving a message it is from God 
to say, no, 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 strife. I think it would be unloving for God to leave us stagnant. God knows that his life is the best life for his glory and for our good. His life is best. And so he longs to propel us forward. And so he may well be making it clear to us that we've been wrong in our thinking of tonight. And that is a good and loving rebuke. Now, that may take some discipline may take some reorientation on our part. That might not be easy for us to go through, to reorientate our hearts more in line with Christ's. Yet how good and loving it is of him to show us that we need to. And may we press on then with greater abandon and greater urgency as we take those active steps to bring our behavior and our attitudes back in line with Christ. And so this is our God. This is our God who has secured the goal for us. He has issued that that upward call upon our lives to draw us to Christ. And he deserves our all. And so this morning, perhaps we've been, perhaps God indeed has been ushering you on in your walk with him, seeking to propel you forward. And so can I invite us to take action when he does that? Perhaps he's been showing you more and and just a, a glimpse of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Well, dive in. Dive into his word, invest time in prayer, nurture your walk with him so that you can know him better and therefore become more like him. All of that so that we can press on toward the goal. And remember, as we, as we need to keep reminding ourselves from chapter 2, verse 12, chapter 2, verse 13, indeed, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to, in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is God's work in our hearts. So this is not a call to to self-determination and willpower of my own right. No, this is a call to surrender our lives more fully to Jesus Christ. And when we do, then God wills and acts in us to draw us closer to himself. How good and gracious he is to do that. So it may not be a call to self-determination and willpower, but it is a call to dependence and devotion. And therefore, may we live lives like verse 16. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let our lives reflect the reality that Christ has grasped us. He has invited us to know him and know him in a way that transforms not only our eternity. Yes, our eternity, but not only that. Transforms us now into his likeness. And as we regularly end our our times with, all of this is for his glory. All of this is for our good because it's for his glory. Might not be comfortable, might not be easy, but it is for his good. And so would you join me in praying for his help as we finish our time? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit that connects your word to our heart. Uh, God, we thank you that you do not leave us to walk this path alone. But Father, you have provided your word for us, which is a lamp to our feet. And we pray that your word would indeed guide us down the path as we strain, as we press on toward the prize, which is and who is you. And so, our Father, I, I pray that you would, you would birth within us this desire to know you more. Father, that we would have that attitude, just like Paul's, of saying that, I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
Father, would you help us to throw off the things that, that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles? Would you help us to get a clearer picture of you so that we can strain forward towards the prize? Thank you, Father, that you have life for us. And it is good life and it is full life. It is eternal life and it is a life of knowing you. And that knowing of you and that depth of knowledge of you transforms our hearts, transforms our our lives. And so we pray that you would help us. And as you work in and through us, would you receive all the glory that's due your name. Amen.